All right, good morning. David Toyer here, president of Toyer Strategic Advisors, and this is the Permitted with Conditions podcast. It's going to be an awesome episode today. I'm very psyched. It's a video session, and I've got a very special guest who I'll introduce in just a minute. We're going to talk about small business and small town economic development. And just for some context as we lead in here, I wanted to point out that 47% of the cities in the United States have less than 1,000 people. And 20% of the United States lives in rural areas, which are defined as areas of less than 5,000 people, or roughly 2,000 housing units. Now, having worked in several small towns over the years, I'm super passionate about seeing them succeed, and so is my guest. If you live in a small town, you're going to want to stick around for this. So my guest today is an expert in economic development and entrepreneurism in small towns. Becky McRae is a co-founder of SaveYour.Town and the founder and publisher of Small Biz Survival, a top 20 blog for small businesses and towns. She's a long small town entrepreneur and the author of the book, Small Town Rules with Barry Smoltz. Uh, thank you for joining me, Becky. I am very excited to be here. Well, can you tell me just a little bit more about your background and what motivated you to start working with small businesses and small cities and towns? Well, I, I live here. I live in a rural area. I live these issues. The town that I'm in at the moment is not a town. We have about 30 people here in Hopeton, Oklahoma, an unincorporated community. I have worked in rural areas throughout my community. I've done a lot of multi county jobs that helped me to travel across rural areas, including working in workforce development, teaching at the local technical centers. And then how I kind of got started in working with small businesses and towns from all of that. I was a city administrator for a town of under a thousand people. And then after that ended, because lots of city manager, city administrator jobs <laughs> come to an abrupt end. Um, after that, I, uh, my husband and I bought a retail store in the nearby big town of Alva, Oklahoma, which had a population of about 5,000. And then I started sharing a lot of this city information that I was still getting, these newsletters, I would, I would pull tidbits out of them. A lot of what we were experiencing as entrepreneurs and what I loved about being a rural entrepreneur. So I started sharing this stuff online and this was 2006. And so this was kind of a great time to be starting a blog. I joined Twitter at the same time. I created my first podcast at the same time. So this was sort of a heady moment, but from that kind of early leadership then, and I say leadership that we were just messing around, but um, from that grew invitations to come and participate in conferences, to speak to events, and it just grew from there. Yeah, that's awesome. It's amazing when I spent some time in the Midwest and had a chance to work in economic development, you know, it, even in the, you know, 2010 to 2016 timeframe, just kind of the explosion of the new ways in which to get content out there on small communities and the ways in which you could share information and and what's going on. And so that, that it's always incredible to have those kinds of resources and, and have those sorts of connections. So excited to talk a little bit more, more about uh, some of those programs you've worked on and communities that you've helped out. So one of the things that you're uh, heavily involved in right now is SaveYour.Town. And one of the things that, that you guys do is called the Idea Friendly Model. And when you're working with small cities and towns, can you kind of explain what that looks like? Absolutely. The idea-friendly method is something that I created initially in 2015, and it was a response to this idea that you've heard of entrepreneur-friendly towns, and there's like arts-friendly communities, and I was like, we should have idea-friendly towns where you're open to new ideas. So there's a little research that backs this up. Iowa State University has done their small towns research project. It has run for over 20 years. And what they found is the small towns that 
thrive the best, no matter what change happens to them, are the ones that are open to new ideas. So latching onto that, that's a great, but how do we do that? How do we become more open to new ideas? Well, you you gather your crowd with your big idea. That's something that you feel is going to make a difference in your community. You turn that crowd of people who are interested into, in it into a powerful network by building connections between them. And then you and your newly powerful network accomplish that goal by lots of you taking small steps. Now, that's it. Those are the three parts of the idea-friendly method. Gather your crowd, build connections, take small steps. And again, this was kind of a reaction to there's so many like 15-point programs that small towns are expected to work with or, you know, use our 27-item framework. And it's just too much. This is something that's designed to be simple for anyone to use in their community. It works with any idea. And the basic approach is stop trying to convince people to do things your way and start attracting people to join and participate in a small but meaningful way in making something better in the community. Awesome. I think the big thing that's a takeaway for me in that is that when you take that type of approach, you're focused more on implementation because you're not stuck on really lengthy planning exercises where you're getting so many things on the list. They're all very complicated and you know, you've, you've got to kind of figure out how you're going to sort through these things and find all of the resources. And you're, you're going in 15, 20 directions at the same time, as opposed to focusing on some things that, that you can do very well. I kind of consider that the meet and plan method. Anytime you get an idea, then you need to hold meetings and you continue holding meetings while you're writing the plan. And until you get everything hammered out, nailed down, you can't do anything except continue to meet and plan. So no one knows you're making any progress whatsoever. Whereas if you go with the idea-friendly method, you say, how could we take small steps right away? What's something we could be doing immediately? And then that puts you in public more uh, quickly so that people can say, oh, that is something I'm interested in. I'll join in. I'm going to help with that. Or here's a little way that I can be part of it. And then instead of shaping the idea while stuck in a committee room, you shape the idea by doing it. And so you're iterating through your implementation as you move forward. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, just kind of for context, uh, and I, I forgot to mention this as, as we got started, but you know, as, as you know, we, we share a common colleague uh, in Deb Brown, who's the co-founder of Savior.town uh, with you back in 2015. Just for, for you know, educating folks on this, how did you two connect? You, you both got this similar focus and similar passion and, and really what brought you, you two together uh, to, to, to work with these small communities to save your dot town. Okay, we met online in like 2008 or so. I think Deb says that we actually first interacted or she saw my name first at Chris Brogan's website where we were in the comments and talked to each other. Then we followed each other on Twitter. We got to know each other. And then after following each other online for a while, I was helping put together a tour of Hutchinson, Kansas by bloggers, which now we would say it was an influencer tour, but at the time it was a bloggers tour. And I invited Deb to join us on that. So that's where we met in person. And we stayed connected through the years and by 2015, uh, I had my retail store and Deb was working at the Chamber of Commerce in Webster City, Iowa, where you know her from. And uh, I said, we should do something together. And she's like, well, I don't want to wait. And I'm like, oh, she doesn't want to wait until we can do something. She didn't want to wait. She wanted to start right away. So we did. We started right then. And she came up with that name, Save Your Town. She's searching for available domains. She's like, dot town is a thing now in 2015. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, Save Your Town. I'm like, 
oh no, we're not saving them. She's like, no, they're saving themselves, right? I was like, okay, so I'll buy it. And so that's where the name came from. And, but we do believe that s- small towns can best be saved by their own people using their own resources and not by somebody coming in from the outside and imposing a plan on them or saying, oh, what you really need to do is this, or here's 74 things you're deficient in. Thanks for your checklist there. So we focus on practical steps that people can put into action right away to shape a better future for their town. And so we look for the low cost and the no cost solutions, something that will work in even the tiniest of towns. And so we have concepts like the tour of empty buildings, the empty lot economic development, the cheap downtown placemaking, the innovative rural business models. And we share those through our newsletters, which are free. And then some things that are not free, like we have short videos and audios and we do some longer courses and toolkits and and we go to events and we present keynotes and workshops and then we do in-depth visits to communities that's focused entirely on idea-friendly method and how you can be doing something with it right away. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it always is, I guess the best word I could put to it right now is frustrated me when I see, you know, a lot of smaller communities and they want to do something. They've had something happen to them or they just know that they've kind of have been in slow deterioration or, or you know, instead of growing at all or maintaining their growth, they've been kind of losing population over a period of time and they want to do something. And so they they think, you know, hey, if I go hire one of these really big expert firms at San Francisco or Seattle or Denver or Chicago, and I pay them six figures to come in here, they're going to help my community pull through this, or they're going to help me change my community. And, and I've just seen too many times that when it comes down to it, and, and kind of, as I mentioned before, it's that implementation factor. Uh, and once they're gone, once they've given you the plan, you're left with your crowd and you have to implement, you know, what, what, what you want to do to move forward. And I think that to me best sums up that the big idea or the idea of friendly method is, is that fact that you are, you're working in partnership with the people that are around you in your community and, and you know, you're tackling those challenges. I think that to me is, is absolutely spectacular. And, and it can really, I jump in you know, on that? Yeah. We hear from communities that have paid $50,000, $60,000 for someone to come in and they visit the community and they have that 100 point checklist and they give you the list of the 74 things you're deficient in. And then they deliver that plan to you. Here's your plan. And then they walk off. They're done. If you want help with the implementation, now you have to bring your real money. Well, for a small town, $50,000, $60,000 really is real money. That, that was their money. They're left with no money for implementation and a plan they can't do. We don't do that. When we come to your community, we're helping you kick off immediate action. We don't care whether anybody writes it down or not. We just want to see that like text messages are getting sent. People are making phone calls. People are actually getting together in person and making things happen. They're kicking off that action right away. That's what we want to, that's the kind of results that we create is not, here's a plan you can look at. Here's a list of things you're already doing that you've either you've enhanced something that you were doing before we got there, you've created something new, you've taken action on an idea you've been thinking and talking about for years, but something's going to happen for real and it's going to happen right away. Yeah, that's awesome. So in your work, what's the smallest community savior.town has worked with? We work with a lot of like 300 to 500 people towns. So there's a lot of that. And a lot of 1,000 person towns will bring us in on their own. But when it's under 1,000, when you get down under about 500, then usually a countywide group or a region-wide group is 
having us work with them as a as an overall area. The smallest single community I've ever worked with is Avard, Oklahoma. Avard, Oklahoma is about 25 people. And I worked with them a long time ago on their folk festival. They do an event of like cowboy and pioneer folk arts and crafts, which when you're 25 people and you can attract 500 people to your town and your town's already listed as a ghost town, then that's economic development. And that was the kind of promotion that made a lot of sense. And because of the attention that they gathered by bringing 500 people year after year for several years to their town of Avard, they figured out was they had a lot of land, right? Like there's a lot of land around Avard that is available. A lot of it is actually platted as city. Like they really thought they were going to grow. So they have this huge town plat, but they also have something very interesting. And so they have two different railroad lines come within a mile of each other right by Avard. So they've, what has happened now is working with the county government. They have built the connection between those two lines and they have built rail, industrial rail park there. And so last time I knew there were four active companies at that industrial rail park, but that couldn't have happened if they hadn't brought people to town to look at it. Yeah, I think that's often lost um, on folks that when you look at communities and if, if you're successful enough to attract opportunities to come to your town, that a lot of those opportunities are based on kind of the environment that your town offers, you know? So we see like larger companies that, that we've worked with when they've got several hundred people that, you know, they plan to employ in a facility, you know, they may want to locate in a town um, that, you know, has certain amenities if they believe that they're going to have to attract folks to move to that community, or if they're going to have a kind of regional headquarters or something like that, that, you know, they want a restaurant that actually has like white tablecloths where, you know, when they have um, executives from companies that they may sell to or to, that they buy stuff from come to town, they've got somewhere to kind of do the entertainment, so to speak. I mean, we've, we've seen those kinds of requests. And so I, I think that's great that, you know, using leveraging the event as a way to recognize that you have all of a sudden, all of these people that have never been to your community before in your community, you know, how can you show them what you have to offer and, and maybe translate that into them recognizing there's key assets there that might be of value? I think that with Avard, I will say this, I cannot prove that it was the folk festival that led to the industrial rail park. I'm not sure you could ever prove that, but I don't think it could have happened if they hadn't brought that many people to their community to see what they already had. The other thing is like, okay, so Avard has 25, 26 people. There's not a white tablecloth restaurant in Avard, Oklahoma. And we're also talking about Western Oklahoma with eight people per square mile on average in Woods County, Oklahoma. So what Avard doesn't have it's like, there's not like, they're not part of a suburb, right? Like they're not immediately next to another town, but in terms of distance out here, it's probably 12 or 14 miles from there to Winoka, Oklahoma, where there is an authentic German restaurant is run by a German immigrant. And so that place doesn't have white tablecloths, but it's got blue and white tablecloths and that's close. And 12 or 14 miles in the other direction is Alva, Oklahoma, that town of population 5,000. It's probably 40 minutes from there to Woodward, Oklahoma, population 14,000. So you have to think regionally. Ben Winchester uses the term, we're in the middle of everything. We're not in the middle of nowhere. We're in the middle of everything. And so we have to use our regional assets 
as part of our development strategy. If we want to attract important executives from the big companies, we're going to bring people that are our suppliers or we are their suppliers and try to impress them with our area. We have to look at all of our assets regionally and not just think what's in this one town. So in urban environments, you're thinking, all right, what have we got right here in our metropolitan area? We have to think of our larger rural area to find those assets that will help attract people to our communities. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's one thing when you look at an urban area and, and, and you may say somebody, you know, has an average commute of 35 minutes, but that may be that they go, you know, 12 or 14 miles or something like that. But you look at, you know, your situation there when you're in a more rural environment uh, and, and they may have a, a 30 minute commute or a 25 minute commute you know, they're going 25 or 30 miles and that's not unreasonable. And, and so you have a larger sense of, you know, how you can work kind of beyond your your immediate boundaries, you know, and, and, and this is the workforce and everything else that we have to work with. And the rural commute is the most peaceful, stress-free commute, except with exceptions. But, you know, if you spend 35 to 40 minutes, most of it in traffic, that's one effect on your soul. If you spend 35 minutes driving across God's country, as we all say, of our area, that has a different effect on your soul. So a 35-minute rural commute is a very different thing. Yeah, absolutely. 